My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I got a phone call, or I got a text. Uh, There's fire trucks at the church, and things are burning, and I was not the only one who got that text. Several other people did, and it it was a little terrifying until I find out that the church was not burning. It was just the garbage that had been dumped on the lot. And we talked about that last week. But if you've ever been at a church that has had a catastrophe, the roof has been blown off or a, a fire or a something, it is a terrifying thing as the pastor and the congregation because this is our spiritual home. So I want you to think all the way back to the time of King Solomon David wanted to build the temple, and God said, you can't build the temple, you're a man of war, but I'll let your son build the temple. Now, David, who was good at loopholes, he said, I can't build the temple, but I could get all the stuff ready. And he started collecting uh, wood and gold and precious metals and stones so that they could, Solomon could build the temple. So David didn't build it, but he prepared it. And it was a glorious temple. There were objects made out of pure gold, and it actually had hammered gold on the walls. Now, it wasn't the building that was so impressive, but the presence of God would fill the temple. It would fill it up like smoke, so that you couldn't even enter the temple because the presence of God was so powerful there. Now, we know that after Solomon... There was his son Rehoboam and the kingdom split and there were invasions back and forth and they would come and take all the gold out of the temple. Then they would replace it back and forth until finally when Nebuchadnezzar comes, he destroys the temple of Solomon. Then Zerubbabel, not a name you get to say often, Zerubbabel and Ezra come back and they rebuild the temple. But they do not have the wealth and the resources that David and Solomon had. So they, they build a temple, but it's not quite up to the glory of the first temple. That one, you know, goes into disarray, and Josiah rebuilds it, and it goes into disarray, and over several hundred years, it's not really what it needs to be. And then there is a builder, his name is Herod the Great, and one of the reasons they called him the Great is because he built so many great and glorious buildings and edifices in Israel. And one of the things he decided to rebuild was the temple. In fact, it was called Herod's Temple. Now, you need to hold that in your mind because it was really more a monument to Herod's ability to build a grand and glorious building than to the God that was supposed to inhabit it. In fact, Ezekiel the prophet records, and not many people take note of this, in in chapter 10 in Ezekiel, the Spirit of God left the temple. The Spirit of God had not inhabited the temple since Ezekiel's time. So when Solomon built his temple, there were four um, sections. We've not really talked about this. We've talked about Herod, but we haven't talked about Solomon This is not a Bible lesson. It'll be short, I promise. It had a great and outer court, a huge area where the people of Israel could come and worship God. 
Then there was an inner court called the court of the priests where the individuals would come with their sacrifice. There was the holy place behind the altar. That would be where I'm standing now where the priests would sacrifice and make offerings to God. And then the part we all know well, behind the priest was the holy of holies, which was only allowed to be visited once a year. And back in Solomon's day, it had the Ark of the Covenant it had Aaron's rod, it had manna, and it had the Ten Commandments. There you go. Had the Ten Commandments. Now, by the time we get to Herod, and today's sermon is called Access or Excess, there were more courts, and it was actually harder to get to the presence of God. They added a court called the Court of the Gentiles. We've talked about this, and that is probably where Jesus overturned the money changers' tables. There was a provision in Jewish law that if you came from a distance, you didn't have to carry your goat or your lamb or your bull all the way. You could buy a, a lamb or a goat or a bull without blemish at the temple. There was a provision for that in God's law because it made sense. Now, the currency of the day was Roman coinage. Well, the priests didn't want that heathen money in the temple. So they would say, we will change your Roman money into the temple shekel. The temple shekel was about the size of a nickel. It was made out of pure silver. And today in buying power, one shekel would be about $320 in buying power. So then, being me, and Vicky wasn't looking, I went on eBay to see if there were any shekels around. You cannot buy a temple shekel, but you can still buy a Phoenician shekel on eBay made of silver from the time of Jesus for a, a, a bargain price of $2,000. Buy a piece of history. What are you going to do with a silver shekel from Phoenicia? I'm not really sure. But they charged you a fee to turn your money into temple money. And if you've ever traveled overseas, that's what they do. They say, oh, we'll take this amount of money. This is the exchange rate. Oh, and there's a, a fee to change your money. And you turn it into whatever you're going to. Euros or lira or marks or whatever. And then when you're coming home, you know what they do? They charge you another fee to turn that money back into your regular money. This is exactly what was going on at the temple. So they were overcharging. They were charging people to change their money and charging them to change it back. And the Lamb of God, I want you to hear this, the one true Lamb of God. In fact, when Jesus came to be baptized by John, that's exactly how John arrested him. Uh, addressed him, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, came and saw that the access to God was being inhibited by this excess. He lost his temper. Now, he didn't lose his temper like this dad. When my, when I was, when my kids were little and I lost my temper, it usually went snap and then there was a loud noise. And if you know me well, you know I'm very good at loud noises. And it was usually a short syllable, and it sounded like this. Hey! And the entire house would stop. 
That's what it looked like when dad lost his temper. And uh, some of you remember when I had youth groups at my house. I could have 20 kids. I could make them all stop with one A. They would just stop in their tracks. Jesus sat down and he braided the whip. He didn't just pick up a random object. I, I like that sometimes grown-ups get together and they talk about, what did your mom use to whack your butt when you were little? Oh, my mom had a switch and my mom had a belt. My mom was the anything that's handy mom. I'm sure you've met some of those. He, he didn't lose his temper that way. He purposely sat down. And I want to think that he prayerfully wove this whip together because his heart was breaking because the people who needed access to God were being prohibited from getting there. Now, the four reasons that you needed access to God in Jesus' day were these. A burnt offering could be provided, and that's where the priest would totally burn the entire sacrifice, be it two doves, a lamb, a goat, or a bull, would burn the entire sacrifice, and the aroma would go to God. That was a worshipful offering. There was a purification offering where, again, the animal was sacrificed, but parts of it were given to the priest, and actually parts were given to the family, but it was for purification, for the forgiveness of sins. Then there was a reparation offering. And we've talked about this many times, that sin carries a price and a penalty, and the price needs to be paid. Like that great old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. There, there was a, a reparation to God and there was a reparation to the person that you had wronged. And finally, there was a fellowship offering, like a, a recommitment offering, where you said, I am recommitting my life and my family, my actions, my activities to the worship of God. So the Lamb of God sits down in the court because access is being forgiven. Forbidden, sorry. Now, part of the problem, we already talked about this, was the cheating, the cost to convert, the cost not to convert, overpaying for things like the McDonald's and the Phillies Cup. By the way, I still have my Phillies season tickets, and I'm still going to go and listen to them on the radio and watch them with Vicky. but I probably still won't be buying too many sodas there. The overcharge for the approved animals, right? Even if you brought an animal. You lived close by. The priest had the opportunity to examine the animal and uh, historians tell us that they would go they would, they would go out of their way to find a blemish. Then they would underpay you for the animal that you were giving them and overcharge you for the replacement animal. There was a lot of greed going on here. There was upselling now, I'm not sure if you, you know many people who are in the business of upselling, but our, our last gym teacher drove this big, huge Jeep. I don't even know the name of it. It was like the biggest Jeep you could get, like the Commander or something like that. You know how they got her to buy it? She went in, and she knew how much she could spend, and she knew how much she could put down, and she was looking around, and the salesman said this to her. Oh, don't look at that. You couldn't afford that. She said, watch me. And now she's making payments that she really can't afford because he, he upsold her. It might sound like this. What's a few more shekels when worshiping your God? Right? 
They had the people spend more. And the Bible was very clear that you only had to bring a a sacrifice that your family could afford. And probably for me as a musician, the noise and the disrespect that was taking place in the house of God. Think of it as a cross between a petting zoo and a farmer's market, an animal auction and an outdoor bazaar all happening at the same time in the house of God. And the Lamb of God, Jesus, sits down and he does three things. He recognizes sin for what it is. He reacts intentionally preparing his reaction and he restores order to God's house. Now we often read this story and we think those greedy, sinful, first century Jewish people, they were just rotten people. And rarely do we think to ourselves, am I restricting someone's access to God? Or worse yet, is my behavior restricting my access to God? If Jesus were to sit at the temple of our hearts, would he walk in? Or would there be things in his way? Is there anything keeping Jesus from fully entering your heart and your life? Now, the good news is, I don't want to know. That's between you and your heavenly father. But we are human beings and we are sinful and we do things that sometimes inhibit our relationship, our fellowship with God. And the first thing Jesus says by his example is we need to do what Zig Ziglar called a checkup from the neck up. We need to stop and say, is there something that is inhibiting my true fellowship with God? It could be time. It could be money. It could be stuff. It could be power. It could be position. It could be work. Anything, even if you're doing it for the air quotes right reasons, can inhibit your access to God. The second thing is, as a church family, is there anything that we're doing that denies or discourages people from reaching Jesus? I, I remember when, and do you, do you remember when nobody ever wore a hat in church? And if you did, some grown-up would come over and glare you down and say to the boys, ladies were allowed to wear hats in church, Take off the hat. And that hat came right off. Do you remember that? Then, when my boys were in junior high school, ball caps started showing up in church. And I got to tell you, I'm old school. And that really bothered me. And then my son said, Dad, the son who's a pastor now, he said, Dad, are you really going to let a ball cap keep somebody from fellowshipping with God? I was like, Man, but here's what I did say. Son, out of respect for your father, you will not be one of the people wearing a ball cap in church. But I'm not going to stand at the door and say, none shall pass if they have a ball cap on. Does that make sense? Sometimes we, we set standards for entering the house of God that would never be part of God's standard for entering the house of God. Sometimes it's our attitudes or our attire, our expectations on our non-essentials. Let me put it this way. 
There's a story about a man who visited a church. And he got into the parking lot and he pulled into a spot. And as he got out of the car, another person rolled down their window and said, That's my spot. I always park there. You took my place. He thought that was a little strange. And he went inside and he looked for an adult Sunday school room. And he went in and he he found a, a quiet spot. And a person came by and said, I always sit there. That's my spot. You took my place. Now, you know this happens all the time. He went into the sanctuary for worship. He found an empty pew and he sat down. And guess what? A person came by and said, I always sit there. You took my place. During the course of worship, the pastor began to pray for Christ to be present with them. And the visitor stood and his appearance began to change. Scars became visible on his hands and on his sandaled feet. And someone noticed him and cried out, what happened to you? And the visitor replied, I took your place. Some things that happen in church are silly. Some things are downright scandalous. Some things may even be sacrilegious, but the church is still the body of Christ. And it was for Christ, church, It was for the church that Christ died. God gave his people the opportunity to clean up their act. And when they didn't clean up their act, Jesus did it for them. By both cleaning the temple and by dying on the cross. Jesus died for you, and I want you to know that you cannot reach God on your own. And if you've never made a decision for Christ... After we have communion today, our front pews are open and we would love to talk to you about what that would mean. Jesus died for you and loves you and wants to help and support you. Christian, you can lean on Jesus even after you've made that decision to follow him for the rest of your life. Jesus died for you and for your loved ones. When you come to his table, recognize your sin And let him refocus your heart. Amen.